There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Hello and welcome to another big interview. Unlike you, I am Graham Hunter. And my guest this time in this edition is Yap Stam. The setting for our interview was the town of Svala in central Holland, the first calling point in a professional career, which included spells at Manchester United, Lazio and Milan, during which he was one of, if not the best central defender in the world. In this initial part of our interview, we talked about the importance of telling players not just what to do, but why to do it. Yap, of course, worked under Sir Alex Ferguson, Louis van Gaal, Roberto Mancini, Carlo Ancelotti, Dino Sof, but only one of these men consistently dealt with players the way that Yap does as a coach. And if Manchester United is your team, then there's nourishment for you here, as Yap gives his analysis of some of the issues which have beset his old team in recent seasons. Here is Jakob, sorry, Yap Stam. Big interview, listeners. This is a thrill. Um, we have a beautiful um, flat landscape and, and blue Coventry City shirt sky outside because we're in Swallow, which I think means swallow. I think it means swallow. There's a man who can tell us because we're with um, somebody who played here and who's coached here. We're with Yap Stam. Yeah. Uh, good afternoon. Actually, Thank you. Why didn't I practice? How could I say good afternoon properly in Dutch? <laughs> Goedemiddag. Goedemiddag. Exactly, very good. Yeah. You, well, listen, one, one yeah. tries. Pronunciation is very good. Um, is it in any way true that you've been living a lie all your football life? Because you're not Yapstam at all. 
<laughs> you're Jacob. What the hell does yeah, Jaap yeah, mean? Yeah. Jacob. Jaap is like a, a version of... Jaap is, is, an, is a name, a proper name in, in, uh, in Holland. And sometimes the people who they... Well, they've got their birth name, Jacob, like myself, Jacob. You speak it, pronounce it in Dutch. Sometimes they call him Jaap. It's an easier, shorter version yeah. of, of that as well. So, and when you go all the way back, so when I was a kid, they say Yapi. It's yeah. like the smaller version yeah, of Yap. We, we, like little, little one, little Yapi. Yeah. So it's got like a bit of the name in it, but it also means because you're like tiny, you're small. Because I was, when I was a kid, tell us this story. when I was a kid, I was the smallest one, the, the smallest, yeah, one, yeah, the smallest so player in the team, in the amateurs. No. Now so, what, how? I mean, the Dutch are a nation of giants, and I'd like to know how that happens also. I think, that, I think they say they're, they're like one of the biggest people or tallest people in the world, yeah, I've been on average. Around, I've been walking around this hotel yeah. day, and I'm never scared. I'm yeah. quite belligerent. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, I better yeah. not look at him the wrong way. And I'm quite small over here in Holland, aren't I? And you genuinely, playing junior football, school football, you genuinely yeah. were the little guy? Yeah, I was, I was the smallest in the team every time. What was that like? That was good. Uh, I enjoyed it because I, I always played in midfield. I never played as a defender. So when I was uh, the smallest one, you always need to play against players who are a little bit bigger than yourself. So you need to learn to play against them. So that means that you need to think a little bit faster than mm -hmm. others. You need your physicality that you have. You need to use it a little bit different as well. You need to be a little bit more clever. Um, because you're playing in a midfield, you need to act quicker. You need to think quicker and, and doing everything on the ball and also off the ball. So it helped me out a lot, you know, from from the point that the coach said, "Okay, yeah, now you're a midfield player, but I'm going to play you as a left back." So and then I started to play when I was because there were no academies or there were hardly any academies at the time when I played in the amateurs when I was a kid. So it was more like, okay, you're playing your your, your amateur teams. They play at a certain level in Holland as well. Yeah. The first team of that amateur team plays, for instance, like um, League One. Yeah. And then, because in Holland we only have two pro professional leagues, like the Eredivisie and uh, the Jupiler League, or the Keukenkampioen Divisie, they call it now. Uh, and then when you're doing well at the amateurs, you know, they pick you out and then they, they select you to maybe you know, have a trial at the, at the professional team. And then you know, you're going to make your steps into uh, professional football. And that's how it went with me. And I went, when I was 16, I went into the first team. First team played on the third division of Holland. So you know, I played at the highest amateur level when I was 16. Then uh, there was a team that picked me up. But before, of course, I went to the first team. I was, uh, you know, in the youth teams, and, and then in these, these youth teams, I was like the smallest. And then at the end of the day, the coach said, just before I went to the first team, okay, I'm going to play you as a left back because we think as a left back it's better for you uh, because of the pace, the physicality that I eventually got in my last year. And then, uh, you know, my pace and going forward and defending. Uh, and that's, that's how it grew, basically going to become uh, a defender. What type of midfielder were they asking you to be then? And, and was it the, I mean, now traditional idea of a 4-3-3 Dutch system? It's a 4-3-3, yeah. And I was like one of the holders, or, or two tens or two eights. It's, it's how you want to call it. You know, in England they say about two defensive midfield players, two sixes in front of the back Spain, four. They call it the pivote. Yeah, the, 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 the Busquets. Yeah, and, and sometimes, sometimes you can turn a little bit with the two. You know, if you like turn a little bit, then you get one holder and two higher midfield players. So, so that's that's how we played 
more or less in the youth teams as well. Because and and the thing basically is as well that I did, just didn't want to defend because I wanted to score goals. Because every kid wants to score goals. You don't want to run and chase your your striker and then give that ball to somebody else. No, I just and that, that was the same for myself as well. If you say, you called it a learning experience, you could yeah. put you at left back, which I, I think you're slightly more right footed. I am, yeah. So I I don't quite understand that. To teach you left-sided defending, or, or no? Because because um, um, at the end of the day, the, the the coaches over there they saw me more with the, with the ability that I had, and also when I towards my fifteenth from my fifteenth until my sixteenth, I started to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, becoming stronger, get more legs, get more pacey, uh, and everything. And then they saw me, and then. They needed to have a left back. They already had a right back. You know, they put me out there, and with my pace that I had, you know, it was it was an easy position for me to uh, to fill in. Even in Holland, when we play with like in the four and a three three, you know, we expect like like not well like modern football nowadays. We expect the fullbacks to bomb on as well to go forward to attack, you know, and then maybe deliver these crosses to uh, for the other ones to get goals. And that's that's what I did. And that's how I grew into my role first as a left back, and then the second year when I again, when I went to to the first team in, in Dos Kampen, I went as a, I played as a right back, and that's how I started my career in Zwolle over here, my first professional team. I started my career as a right back, right full back. Kampen in, Kampen in the seventies. Yeah, I'm estimating because I haven't been there. No, but Kampen seems to me to be a town of traditional values, yeah, a little bit old-fashioned, quite religious. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't grow up where my my mother grew up, but we went a lot to the holiday our holidays in the um, Hebrides of Scotland, which mm-hmm. is the islands as you look at Scotland. They're up the left, Lewis and Harris, and up there. When we grew up, it was a sin to kick a ball on a Sunday. If you kicked a ball in the back garden, you were in shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the swings were tied up in the play park. Yeah, yeah. The Sunday papers arrived on Monday. Now I guess camping wasn't quite the same. But were there echoes of that in your? Yeah, no, it was, it, it was more or less the same. Yeah, in in company as well, you know. If if if, and I was I was out. I was always kicking the ball, even on the on the Sunday we played on the on the Saturday on the Sunday. I was kicking the ball every day of the week. But then, yeah, at, at certain neighbourhoods where we played as well, and you've got these garage doors. They were just made of steel, some, some sort of steel, and we were banging these balls Perfect. against these doors, and then the people were coming out and then saying, oh, get away with this ball. Well, you know how it goes, how people react, and even when they're religious, they, they curse at times as well. Yeah. <laughs> so they, you know, they tell you to go. And, and yeah, that, that, was, that was Kampen as well, you know, people who, start working, who came from outside of the city into Kampen, they were like maybe from, from, from uh, the west of, of Holland, they were used to wash their cars on a Sunday. If people were washing their cars on a Sunday, a lot of people would come out and say, hey, you don't do that over here, you know, it's, it's the day of the Lord and it's a day of like quiet and, and peace and quiet and not, not working on the Sunday or, or sports on, on, on Sunday. And that, that's how it was. It changed, eventually it changed, the city changed. But there are, there are, yeah, there are like, I don't, I don't know, there, there are like a lot of churches and, and different groups of uh, religion as well in the, in the, in the city. I, I don't mean in your family, but was that a slightly restrictive environment to grow up in as a as a sort of enthusiastic athletic kid? No, because because my parents, they just encouraged me to, to do so. They just, you know, told me as well to go out. And we were not religious. Yeah, we, we had a religion from the past. But as, as a family ourselves, we didn't do a lot with, with that religion. You know, and that, that's also got to do with the passing of my, my grandfather and how everything went. And 
uh, and not saying that we don't believe or that we don't think think about it, not at all, but um, it went differently. And, and for everybody, I think, who's got their beliefs, you know, uh, I'm happy for them because I think as a person you need to get something out of certain things that you believe in. If it helps you going forward and makes you a better person or have a better life, then, okay, then you, then you need to do it. But, I, I, but it doesn't mean that um, you can be restricted by a belief, I think, no. in, in doing things that can help you as a person or as a family. Now, this is a place where you'd be quite capable of rejecting this on your own, but I give you permission to argue. Um, one of the guys who really helped me in, in an early stage in my career was, I discovered this mad Scottish guy who did his coaching badges via the KMVB in Dutch. Hmm. You already know his name's Jimmy Calder. Jimmy, yeah. Yeah. Who right this day, um, his, his, his birthday was last week, suffering really badly from Alzheimer's. Yes, I heard. I don't think he would know you or me if he no. came in this room. But in the early 90s, he was a character of real effervescent bubbliness. You know he's a big character. Whether he was a good coach or not, I'll leave you to, to explain. A storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I got to know him while he was nicking about and coaching in, I think, Cambour and I think Swallow. I started as Swallow. Now, there's the point. Because... Yeah. When Manchester United sealed your deal, I phoned Jimmy. And Jimmy said a, a, a quite a, a tough thing. He said, I warn you now, I, I've had him twice, because once Jimmy was your assistant coach, I yeah. think at Cambo, and then he was your first coach. At Swallow, he was at assistant. Swally. Yeah. And he said, um, I've had him twice. He, he won't start well. He, he, he doesn't start well. He, he doesn't find his way quickly. Look out at Manchester United, it'll be the same, he said. And then he said the strong thing. He said, but like with us twice at United, he'll finish the season, player of the season. No question whatsoever. That's Yap. Do you recognise what he's saying? Yeah, I, I recognise what he's saying. The only thing is that the first time I met him as an assistant at Zwolle, he, uh, I started very well the season. And I ended a bit downwards okay. because... Uh, from the start, I was flying when I went to Swallow, and he was the assistant over there. And they, they've asked me when I was at the amateurs at that time. So I played, I joined them, like I said before, 16 in the first team. I played two seasons in the first team. When I was 18, I went to, to Zwolle. And then when I was 17, all the year before Zwolle, uh, they've asked me as well, Jimmy and his, uh, his coach, the head coach, Theo de Jong at the time as well. Then I said no because. I'm still going to school and everybody was on to me about, yeah, you need to go to school, you need to finish your diploma. And I was like, really, okay, well, yeah, well, okay, let's do that then. You know, while your mind really is on, on football. And then the season after, uh, you know, I was totally focused on the football, of course, you know, and everything in the amateurs went so easily. And then they, of course, came again. And then I said, okay, I'll, I'll come on and, and join you guys. And we signed for a year and then we see after a year how things go. And then... If it's not working out, I go back, and if it's working out, maybe we can make an extra step. So I started that season very well, but because of all the the intensity of the training sessions, all the sessions, I was not used to it, of course. Uh, at the end of the day, during that season, during you know, the winter time and everything, you get you get more tired, and then your level of playing sometimes goes. And I think it's normal because you come from the amateurs, it's totally different when you go into the professional football. Uh, so that was good. And Jimmy arranged because he was in contact with Trapper Francis as well. In the winter, I was on trial to Sheffield Wednesday for me to go over there. We just we played in the cup. We won in the cup against RKC. And then straight after the game, I went to Schiphol. First time flying, I went to Sheffield Wednesday for, I think, four days on trial. 
And then Trevor Francis said, "Yeah, you know, if you if you if you can come back, because they were they were they were like interested. They saw some good things, but not really convinced yet. In in these couple of days of sessions, but normal." Then I said, no, I'm not going to do it because I first want to show myself in Holland and then... You, you know, you know you've know, done Trevor Francis no favours. The man to miss Eric Cantona and Jaap oh, Stan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Eric turned up at Sheffield Wednesday for a trial and yeah. Trevor went, nah. No, so yeah, okay. I had to interlude there because I guess maybe you didn't know eh? because No, I didn't know that, no. Two guys you did, yeah, I guess you both did okay for Manchester United later, but yeah. that's another story. Yeah. So the, you, you come back from Sheffield having done the trial, I guess, enjoyed the experience. No, I enjoyed it very much because I've, I've never been abroad. My family was poor, we didn't have money, we never went to, a, to abroad. First to, ever trip? On a holiday, it was my first ever trip going abroad and first ever trip on a plane. So I was, and I was 18 and, and on your own also now this to with my girlfriend but was now my wife oh, so she comes with you yeah she came okay. with me as well so it was it was a lifetime experience for me to go over there and then yeah well you know you see Hillbrow the stadium the fans the people the players and everything everything was big for me it was total total different situation and because Hillsborough it, it, it's a stadium where the the stands are big and booming. There's hills in behind. There's tiny little gaps. You can see the countryside yeah, around it. Yeah. It's old-fashioned and impressive. It's old-fashioned, but it, it was beautiful. And, and I've never, I've, like I said, you know, I've only seen places over here in Holland. I've only seen a couple of stadiums in, in the, the second league in Holland where we played at the time when I, uh, when I joined them. So I was completely, I was, I was shocked in, in what I've seen. And, you know, and when I met the people and how helpful they were and respectful they were. So it was great for me to see, and that always triggered me as well to see different cultures and you know how people live in in, in the UK, but also in Italy and uh, and also in the States, and that's why I like going to to different countries and work and and you know also learn different languages. So and then that yeah that that really opened my eyes as well at that time. And then after that, you know, I finished the season at Zwolle, and then Jimmy and yeah, and the coach they left. Theo de Jong. Theo, they left. They went to Cambuur. Yeah. On the season, no, because the first season, I forgot to say it, they brought me to uh, Zwolle, but at the start of the season, they left. Hmm. They left to Cambuur. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they start, because you start with because a game Feyenoord. Theo left. Theo left. And I don't know if Jimmy, Jimmy stayed. Jimmy stayed. Jimmy stayed. Yeah. Theo uh, left. Went to and Cambuur. then a different head coach came in. Yeah. And I remember the head coach saying as well, oh, yeah, but he comes from the amateurs, and what do I do with him? And, 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 and I know that. So I started over there. I did very well. Uh, and, and then at the end of that season, Teo, you know, he picked up the phone. He phoned me up, and he said, yeah, we want to buy you. They phoned the club. What kind of guy is he? Is he an important figure in your life? Because Yeah, he, he was. He was, because he, he brought me from, from Dos Camp and the amateur team to Zwolle. Then he took me from Zwolle to Cambuur. And then from Cambuur, because after that Cambuur, he went to Willem II. Yeah. It was like also a team in the first, in the highest league in the Eredivisie, but a little bit higher than Cambuur. And then he brought me as well to, uh, brought me to Willem II. Which is Teo. Willem Twee here. Willem right? Twee, yeah. As a player from the amateurs, and, and at, the, at the amateurs, you, you've got coaches, and sometimes you've got a decent coach, but you don't have a lot of coaches with a certain quality that can improve you as an individual, as a player. You know, you need to do a lot yourself to get to a certain level. Of course, you need to have some ability yourself, but you need to learn, you ed- educate yourself a lot. I think nowadays, even nowadays, you still need to do it as a player, even at the highest league. You need to learn from a lot of things. But at that time, when I went from went to, uh, to Zwolle, and I got Jimmy, and Jimmy helped me a lot at Zwolle as well as a coach and telling me what the thing. But Teo, after when I went to Teo, because of Teo, he played at the highest level in football. Mm-hmm. He can give you a lot of individual 
things, pointers that can make you better as a, as a, as a player if you're open for it. And if you stick to it and you pick up his advice and you're trying to do something with it. And that, that's what I tried to do. And, and that helped me a, a lot as a player at the highest league, you know, to, to make things easier for myself. You were a learner and a thinker. Yeah, no, because I, I, think, I think you need to learn yourself. You need to, when you get into a situation and it's not going well, you always need to think about, okay, you know, it didn't go well. It, it's not like a coach needs to tell you what you need to do better if you make a mistake. No, you know. it's about as a player, you know, okay, did, did, didn't went well. I need to do it differently. And how can I do it differently? Sometimes by somebody telling you a coach, but also I think as a player, you need to know yourself. Or you're going to ask somebody. One of the things, if there had been social media then, I don't think you'd have been doing was posting up saying, sorry, you need to do better, we'll get back to work. <laughs> that, that bullshit is the you, same as learning, no, changing. But, no, you always say, yeah, we need to do better. That, that's, 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 that's always when I played. And, and you know, you always, sometimes when you have an interview, you always say, yeah, yeah, we need to do better. But the thing is, what do we need to do better? That's the question. And why sometimes? Because the why is, I think, in football, a very important thing. That's why, as a coach, I find it very important telling your players, you know, they need to do certain things, but why do they need to do certain things? You're still a relatively young man for a coach or manager. Not all coaches or man managers no, believe no. like you do because no, often they're like, you do this, I've trained you, I've told you to do this, the drill show you what to do. But certainly, at the elite clubs, I've noticed, so I've been lucky enough to spend... 20 years in Spain, and, and I remember players like Pique or Xavi saying, I know why we do things, I know, or I know what we do, I know how to do them. But Guardiola, when he, in his first incarnation as coach, he's the first guy to make us understand why. Mm. So you're picking that theme, but a, a lot of managers don't have the time or the inclination to, to do the why. No, a lot, and some players no, don't I, need I, it I, or I, don't I, want it. A lot, a lot of managers have the time, but a lot of managers don't see it themselves. Okay. I think... Because I, I cannot understand if you if you see in uh, certain teams play, why do they not get more out of it? If you see the quality of play, the, the, the mistake what managers are making, I think, or what people are sometimes in general are making, is that if you buy a player from 80 million, uh -huh. he knows everything already by himself <laughs> and what to do. That's, <laughs> not, that's, that's not the issue. No. That's not the case. No. That's the market. The market is making this player of a value of this this amount of money. But still, this player, even when he's 25, 26, 28, he still needs to learn a lot. You don't need to teach him how to control a ball. The basics. The basics of no. them. If you still need to learn them, then you need to get rid of them. You, know, you don't need to learn them. But you need to, need to learn them. Why does he need to take up certain positions so football becomes easier for him? Or, or the, the, the player in front of him gets him better spaces, in easier spaces, so he can open up and go forward and then put somebody else in certain positions to score goals and to eventually win games. And that, that's, a, that's a thing that, and, and, and why do I find it important? Why do I do it? And you need to take your time with it. And that's, that's on the pitch, that's, in, that's with video, that's with clips, that's with meetings, that's in, in individual meetings, that's, that's in meetings with like the back four or only the midfield players, that's in team meetings. You need to spend a lot of time with all, well, with everybody to you know, get the best out of these players as individuals, but also as a team in, you know, in succeeding, in, in getting players to a certain level. But a key thing you said there is that as the coach or the manager, you need to understand how to diagnose and solve the problem in the first place. Yeah. And, and yeah, but your point that not, not all of them do. No, they don't, they don't. And that's why it's so important that you need to have your, your own philosophy as a, as a coach as well. So you know your philosophy and how you want to play. 
And then you need to work out that philosophy against the opposition because the opposition is playing in a 4-4-2 and a 4-3-3 or 5-3-2 or 5-2-3. And then with your philosophy against every system, you need to know, okay, because then it doesn't stay the same. You cannot say, okay, you go out on the pitch and you play against every system in the same way. No. It doesn't work like that. Every time you need to move the puppets a little bit in different areas, in different positions, so you come out on top or you make it difficult for the opposition. And then... You're starting, win, you're starting to win games. And I didn't have a lot of managers who did that. Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter, or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Who were the interventionist managers in training who would... Not necessarily with you, but with teammates. Because Alex Ferguson wasn't that. That's what his coaches were for. He might yeah, see yeah. things, yeah, but yeah. he wasn't on the training ground saying to you, look, you're positionally wrong. You do. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, again, to use the pet phrase, there were players at St Andrews in his first training s- summer with, with Barcelona in 2008-9 who were so angry about him coming on and turning their body shape and intervening and stopping training and actually pushing them forward like he does that they, they were queuing up to leave. Who intervened and said, look, not like this, I want this specifically, don't do that? Mm-hmm. I, I think Van Gaal was one of, the, uh, one of the coaches who did it the most. Because when I was working with Ancelotti or Sir Alex or, or Mancini or Zaccaroni, uh, Zoff, Dino Zoff, uh, Advocat, Gus, whatever, they were not coaches who said, like, in detail, this is where you need to take up your position and you need to, even you can do more... You need to just wait in that position and stand there and then you get the ball and then you can make a difference for yourself. 
There were not a lot of coaches who can, who can do that. And I can understand that every player has it as well at times that you're thinking. That's why sometimes as a coach, yeah, you, you know, how long do you going to do it? Are you going to do it in like a small session of 10, 15 minutes? Do you do it several times a week instead of like one session of an hour and a half? Because you also need to know the learning curve of, of a player or, or the time that the player is really focused on it is maybe only seven minutes. Because if you go over that seven minutes, players and people are start thinking like, they go like... To do like Some this. of them are at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, so you really need to also, maybe you can do it in, in, then, then in smaller groups and then at the end when everybody understands it, then you put the whole group together and you explain it again and then you try to get things, uh, things going. This is an opportune time to, to, to butt into the flow of what I want to ask you to bring in a, a question from our sponsors because we're supported all the time by Bet365. Mm-hmm. They've sent this one in. So it's out of chronology. And and it's a it's a atrevido in Spanish. It's a slightly daring question. But um, if you look from a distance, if you've been looking from a distance at what's been happening recently at Manchester United yeah. in terms of the type of coaching, the mm-hmm. type of decisions about which manager, the way in which certain players haven't improved, and and there is, I'll state my position. My position is that's a squad which maybe might not win the title but there's a squad that should be in my humble opinion should be competing for the title Mm. and you can see team flaws you can see decision making flaws you can see players who have lost confidence Mm -hmm. and the majority of them 85-90% of the squad are playing under par Mm -hmm. so the question from our sponsors is what's your view on the current Manchester United managerial situation and do you consider that one day you'd want to manage that club? Yeah, I would love to manage that club. <laughs> that's, a, that's an open question, I think. But yeah, the, the, the thing is always, do you, get, do you get an opportunity or be an assistant over there? It could be also. Because, and I think that's good for every coach and every coach and every maybe former player. I think that as well, that you can contribute to something to, uh, you know, to help them out. So I, I, would, I, would, love, I would love to work at, at United in some role as well, you know, to help out the team or players or youth or whatever. Because I think I, think I, can, I can add something to, to that. If we're looking to the team, if we're looking because, um, you know, there's, there's always, a lot of people always have their opinions, you know, about the club, about players. And I, and I think, yeah, that's a lot of it is sometimes true. Sometimes it's, it's not in, in what's being said. Um, do we, if we talk about the squad, do they have quality? I think, yes, I think there's a lot of quality in that squad. Do they have players over there that I think they're not good enough for the team? Yeah, I also do think so. Do I name names? No, because they're going to pick these names out. But That's not what we're here for. No, no, but you know where I'm. You know yeah. how it goes. But I, th- I think if you're if you're looking at this squad in in, um, in the quality, what's in the in, uh, in 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 the team in the squad, I think you need to get a lot more out of it. In, in how you want to play, um, in, in being dominant on the ball. The, the, the thing I just don't understand with, these, with this, these plays that they're having is that why even against the so-called uh, smaller teams within the league, even these teams sometimes are dominating and United is sitting back and waiting and just like playing on the counter-attack. Sometimes you need to risk uh, things as well. But if you want to play dominant, you need to know how to play dominant. So you need to put your players also in position and you need to ask certain things from them you know, to, uh, to play in a dominant way. It's always easy to say, yeah, but we haven't got the players for it or they're not used to it, whatever. I think they can do. 
The only thing is that I find it very important that you also need to have the manager that's good enough to do that as well, who sees that as well. And uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think is that the choice for for the manager is that the right one? You know, for for like making the choice for an interim manager like like Ranjik at uh, at the moment. I think I think I found it a strange one, to be honest. Because I think as as United, if you want to have a manager, if you're thinking, okay, I want to have Pochettino or Ten Hag or Brendan Rodgers, whatever, that you can just uh, you put the money on the table maybe and you just buy the manager that you want. I can also understand that certain teams think, yeah, well, we don't want to lose the manager yet, but if they can do it with players, then they also should do it with uh, uh, with a manager in, in in the way of playing. The only thing is that also from from the owner's point of view, yeah, who's like who's 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 running the joint, who's like saying, okay. Um, this is what we want. This is our philosophy. This is what we want to do. This is what we want to achieve. Yeah, you want to achieve good things in, in winning trophies, but you also need to have a good idea by winning trophies, and you also need to have an understanding of football and what's being asked as a club. I think in in uh, in, in what type of manager uh, you're looking for. How's the structure of the club? How's the 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 scouting, uh, the recruitment of the club, and bringing players in? The type of players. What you're looking for. And then making, of course, the right decisions does, in doing this. Does it feel that most of those areas you've named are a little under par at the moment, and, and that contributes to the overall? Yeah, situation? that's always a difficult thing. I find what I find if you're looking at it from 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 the outside, but I think if if you're looking at it, then then it looks like all these these levels are not good enough in in building the club to uh, to a certain to a certain level. In 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 your way of football, but if you, if you're talking about we want to. We want to play attacking, dominant football. We want to go forward. Then you, at first, you need to have a coach who's playing like this. You need to have uh, a general manager or a technical director, how, how do you want to call it, yeah. above him, who thinks in the same way. Yeah. We also need to have pe- uh, people who have knowledge of football and, and know then what type of play is, if you're looking at the philosophy of playing, you need in your system and uh, in, in how to play so you can get the right players. They play, they've got... Uh, certain, uh, yeah, they've got certain ability, quality that that fit into your uh, into your philosophy of playing. That means that for every individual position on the pitch, you've got how you call it information, you've got data, you've got like uh, written out. These are the individual qualities of the player that we're looking for. No, and if you can't find them, then you, then you need to like find the best solution. Find the best, yeah, exactly. Find the best find solution. The wrong player. Yeah, except yeah. that you aren't getting the. Per- the Nine and a half out of ten, yeah. all the criteria yeah. that we've used yeah. to apply. Because, like an example, quick example, I think is if you if you buy a lot for a lot of money, if you buy uh, Bissaka, if you buy Harry Maguire, there's a lot going on about these players. You know, these boys cannot. It's not their fault that the clubs are asking a lot of money and it's been paid for them. Okay, you cannot think. These players are being brought in. They they know everything. They can the do price everything. Price doesn't make you the finished article. No, it's not because you need to develop as a player. So you were the world's most expensive defender. Were you the finished article when you reached? North no, Africa? no, by far, I wasn't. I wasn't. But that's why the first couple of months I had a, I had a tough time. But it's how you adjust yourself. It's about help that you're going to get. It's also about here and thinking. Okay, what do I need to do to get out on top to to become a better player in this in this team? You've described really well from a distance. I accept. What you see, what you understand, what it feels like is, is a problem mm-hmm. at Carrington or Manchester United. And this was picking up the sponsor's question. We, this is driving me away from what I wanted yeah, to ask yeah. about the, the glorious past, but we'll come back. But I have to say to you, then, given the argument you've just laid out really coherently and articulately, what was the, what was the daily atmosphere you encountered 
when you began to work at Carrington? Because you've been working at, you know, an organised, successful, highly talented club in, in PSV. I yeah, yeah. And I don't mean to eulogise the manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, in this, because every player that we've listened to subsequently says that there was a culture, that there was a hard group of players who inculcated, taught the standards. And I'm talking mm-hmm. daily, mm-hmm. hourly, decision-making, attitudes, behaviour, timekeeping. When you go there, what's the, the atmosphere, the demands that you meet every day, every hour, every week? Yeah, well, at first we were at the cliff. Cliff, sorry. In the beginning. And then for a year, my first season over there, and then we went to Carrington. But when I came to the, to the, to the cliff, it was like, yeah, is it special? It wasn't special. I think the cliff, where I came from, PSV, the, the difference in clubs is huge. United is here, PSV is over here. If you're looking at the training ground, PSV's training ground at the time was here, here, and the cliff was there. If you're looking at the building, facilities and everything. But it's not, it's not all about facilities, of course, and in, in, in that make you a big and, and a better player. It's about, it's about your, your, I think, the players that you're working with, the tra- your training sessions, the coaches, the sessions uh, in what you're doing uh, and in what we needed to do, um, how you, I think, how you stood ground for yourself as well in, uh, in, in the training sessions and also in, uh, in, in the games. But when, when I went to, to the cliff, it was like, oh, yeah, you arrive, you have, you have some breakfast, you go into the dressing room, um, you, get, you get changed, you go out on the pitch, um, you start the session, not long sessions with, uh, with Fergie or, or with Kiddo in the beginning and later Steve uh, coming in, uh, an hour, hour 15 maybe, but the, the, the sessions that we did, the drills that we did were always intense, not intense by uh, the coaches telling us, oh hey, you need to run faster or you need to do more, no, intense of uh, if we play a possession game, if we play a game or we had a passing drill or we had like even a smaller box and you need to go into the middle, intense in terms of players pushing each other and getting the best out of each other as well and setting the standards high for each other so so everybody is every time in training sessions or uh, and that automat- automatically goes to games you're on your toes so you want to do well you don't want to be the joker every time everybody was having that feeling that you want to do well you want to show yourself in training sessions as well and then for an hour and then we enjoyed ourselves we did our, our job well and then yeah and then afterwards uh, you're having treatment something to eat and and then you go home and spend some time with uh, with the family when you say it like that, it just sounds right, but it sounds to the outside people who either are naive or haven't spent a lot of time in football, well, every, every training ground should be like that. Every yeah. professional should be self-demanding, pushing his Yeah, but that's not, that's not the issue. That's not the case. What's very important, because we, we, before we were speaking a little bit about managers and the tactical part of the managers and what they're doing, and, that's, and I have always said it, that, that's one of these, the strongest uh, things that Fergie has as well, I think, is in building a team. In looking for the right characters right, yeah. with with the players, you know, for, uh, within the players for his team. So eventually, and of course with ability, without a doubt, with ability and quality, but also looking for the for the character. And that's why Martin Fergus' uh, brother, you know, he scouted me. I think for over a season, he's, he's seen basically all my games, even the bad games, 
it's not like okay you know he's a scout and he's looking at you and he sees you play two bad games or we're not going to take him because you play bad no they also looked for the personality of myself and also the other players how do you cope with a bad game how do you cope with a bad game because that's maybe even more important than a, than a good one it sure is that's what they're looking for and that's how you build a team that's yeah wanting to have success that's hunger for like for success and and that's why you look for, need to look for in players for us in our team in the sessions and in games all the, all the players we were like on a, on everybody's toes if somebody was like you know thinking like okay i'm not having it or i'm i'm giving in or whatever then somebody else would tell you a lot of players who play at the highest level don't understand what it's contained to play at the highest level and what you need to do to to get there and a lot of people might say that yeah to go, to get there is easy but to stay there is more difficult and that's uh, it is the truth across your career you played with people like for example maybe davids or Simeone, Chola Simeone, mm-hmm. Inzaghi, who's cut from different cloth, yeah. certainly wants to win all the time, yeah, yeah. via whichever way. Maldini on one side, you nest the next to yeah, you. Catuso, yeah. we could go on and on about the, the types of players, but I wanted to put it to you straight. Is that group, 98-99, is that the most competitive bunch of people? Because you didn't all like each other. That's just a fact. No, 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 that's true. Yeah. Far from it in some yeah. cases. Yeah. Is that the most competitive group that you've ever been part of? Yeah, it was. It was. You mentioned a couple of names from Milan as well. That was a brilliant team as well. Brilliant players. Very, very high standards over there as well. But the approach that we had to each other at United was even over there was, was more, well, much higher than how it was in Italy. In Italy, sometimes I went went into certain players and then they come back to me afterwards and say, yeah, can you please not do that because I can't handle it or I don't like it when you approach me in a certain way. I say, yeah, but this is not about you know me uh, pissing you off or, or whatever. It's about what I expect from you and what you need to do. Standards. Standards, yeah, but I don't really, I can't handle it or I find it very difficult. I say, yeah, well, you need to learn. You need to learn and, and basically and handle it. And it's not like, okay, I don't like you. No, it's about us getting things done in this game. And, and that's, that, that was how it was at United. Game in, every game, every game. And yeah, sometimes you play bad, but still, still you know, you keep pushing each other to get to, get to a certain level. And that, in, in Italy, that was, yeah, that was different. It was totally different. We've got people called socios, Yap, who, mm-hmm. who are like, socio in, in Spanish football term is like a season ticket holder or yeah. a fan. They've been with us. Forever. Uh, we've got two really good questions from them, uh, which I'm subjugating my need to ask you questions and promoting them because I'm a good team member. <laughs> I'd have been good at the cliff. Oh, yeah. Tom Lee's one of them. Tom says, exactly, I still, <laughs> I still haven't recovered from the news in September 2001 that Yap was surplus to requirements of being offloaded to Lazio from Manchester United. What are Yap's strongest recollect- recollections from that time and can he sum up the precise emotions when he learned he was being shown <laughs> the door? Um, and I have to butt onto that question as well to, to give you just a bit of room to answer the, the question you've probably been asked the most in your life. Yeah. That one. There's a really good interview, which I don't know I could show you if you haven't seen, with Sir Alex Ferguson, with a famous TV personality, now, now late, um, David Frost, where he just says to him straight, mistakes in your career, and he goes, yeah, Stan, just like that, just says it off the, just no question. Mm-hmm. I got it wrong. Alec, who is not above rewriting history because he's a he's a fantastic man manager mm-hmm. but he's also he has his he has his foibles he says the decision was not made about controversy or, or headlines it was only upon the Achilles 
a bad game against Fulham and an offer from Lazio. And he, he knew within a season, travelling to uh, Stadio Olimpico to watch you play for Lazio, that he got it wrong. So Tom's question is, what are your memories of the emotions? My question is, does it help to know that this man knew very quickly he'd made a mistake? Well, the emotions were like, of course, I was very disappointed at the time when I got the message. And, and, and I told in the past as well, like, you know, and you're always, like you say, and this, this question has been asked so many times, so many times. and you need to go back into to that story mm-hmm. again, and you don't want to go all the way back again. No. Because I, I, I admire Sir Alex, and I've always said that as well, you know. He's been a coach, he brought me to United, I learned a lot from him as well, so he brought me also to a certain level. The only thing is that um, in how the situation was dealt with, how it was handled, basically, that was very disappointing. In, in how they got to the to the decision for, to sell me uh, to eventually and also for myself eh, because they can agree because I just signed a new I, I could also could have said yeah I'm not going to go I'm going to stay but Sir Alex knew he knows me very well my character how I am he knew that if he was saying yeah you're going to be on the bench I would say yeah but I'm not going to go on the bench okay now I don't mean to be rude but that's a contrary statement which I've seen you make before because you're a fighter you're a competitor there's a, there's a yap stam in there who might have said bollocks mm-hmm. I'm not going to Italy no. I'm not going to Lazio yeah, that's okay true. I'm not going to sit on the bench true. I'm going to show you now yeah. I'm going to stay and yeah, I'm going to yeah. fight but the only, the only thing in, in there is the difference is that if they, if they come to me before and they say yeah, there's a club that showed interest in you. They're offering more than we paid for you. We think you cannot go back to your old level again, so we accepted their deal. Then I can say, yeah, no way. I'm going to show you I get back to my level again, and you, you will see that I will play again. Now it went basically, yeah, 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 the, the book, uh, all that shit going on, turning from... His book, examples in how it went with him, to how can you say this and how can you do this? And at the end of the day, hearing uh, from somebody, hey, yeah, they already sold you. Okay. That's... Then, then something snaps and you're thinking, yeah, how can I still, how can now for this moment, how can I still work with people if they make a decision like this and they're not truthful and honest to me about certain, certain things? Yeah. And, 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 now, and now for myself, I'm going to go. Now I understand more. Now, and, and how soon did you find out that... I'm asking this for a reason. How soon did you find out that he knew he'd made a mistake? I guess you didn't know he came to Stadio Olimpico to watch you. No, I didn't. Time. I heard it from, uh, from my babys- babysitter. <laughs> no, she was in England and, and she became a sort of a, a, a nana for, for our kids. Okay. And, and she was always working at Old Trafford. She was in the crest uh, as well for the kids. And our kids went there, and eventually she came at home as well. And she was like, she was working over there, and she was she was so pissed off when I, when you, I left at United. Course. And she was her whole life was all about United. Where she cursed uh, and she uh, did, and everything. Uh, and at the end of the day, we, when we were lived in Italy, she phoned up, and then at the time when Sir Alex said that in the interview, and she said he said that he made a mistake. I told you, and that's how I hear heard the like, okay, that he he said that he made a mistake, and then yeah. You know, you're, you're like, and I don't know when it was exactly after the after the move that I made, how, how how long it was after that. But then, yeah, okay, you take it for granted. You're thinking, okay, yeah, that's that's nice, and that's good that he's he's honest about it or he's he's saying it. It's possible your future. It's possible from what you've said 
is going to be slightly more angled towards coaching, however high you go, could be the highest level, than maybe man managing or manager. It feels to me that if a club said to you, we want you to be first team coach and there's a manager, if it was the right project, right manager, you might say yes. Yeah. So you might not be in an Alex Ferguson situation. You might be, but you mm. might not be this guy who's... One of the things he said totally separately to the m- mishandling of your situation yeah. is that one of his big strengths across his life was not being afraid to grasp the nettle and, and say, OK, I've weighed up what I think, and there. Mm-hmm. And he reckoned that lots of managers around him didn't have that, that they got scared away from making decisions because they were worried about the consequences. Now, here's one where he, he followed the thing that made him successful all his life and he got it wrong. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's learning things in there for you, that, not the player, but the, the, the coach, the manager there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> life went on. <laughs> he still won another Champions League. For you, life went on. You went to Champions League final. You won trophies in, in Italy. It was handled badly. It felt shit at the time. Mm-hmm. But both Manchester United, Alex Ferguson, and Yapstam went on, and, and things were okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he wasn't uh, be scared of making decisions, is what I mean. No, but it, that's uh, a, a lot of managers are, are afraid to to make uh, hard decisions, and they they or they leave it to somebody else, or they 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 how do you, yeah how do you say it? you talk around it, or you know, in a different way you, you you maybe come to the same outcome, but not not in a good way, and that that's how this was handled at, at my. Uh, case uh, uh, at, at, at the time. I think as a manager, and that's what I, I learned personally for myself as going into managers from, from this particularly, that you need to be honest to your players, mm. even if it's not nice for them. Mm. But you need, to, you need to tell the players if, if they're not good enough or if they don't do things well or whatever, just tell them, be straight up. And they might not, not like it, but at least you said it. And at least you can say, okay, you can look in the mirror and say, yeah, yeah, well, I've, I've, I've said it directly, straightforward towards him. He knows it. What's he going to do with it? Is he going to, you know, with his head, is he going to like, okay, give in or is he going to fight? Is that still an easy skill for you? It is. I, and, and I do it. And it's sometimes not nice, but sometimes you need to do it. And that's what I learned from this as well. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.